Today's episode of Let's Talk is brought to you in part by International Justice Mission. IJM is a global nonprofit working to end slavery and violence around the world. To get an idea of what this work looks like, take this story from South Asia. Several families living in slavery were being brutally abused, poorly fed, and forced to sleep outside in makeshift tents. When IJM and local authorities heard about the abuse, they planned a rescue operation to set these families free. And that operation took place in March of this year, setting 50 people free. You can make this kind of restoration possible by becoming a Freedom Partner and sending IJM to rescue others. Freedom Partners give a monthly gift to IJM so IJM teams can show up month after month to rescue people from slavery and walk with survivors as they heal. Visit IJM.org slash Let's Talk to join today. Welcome back to Let's Talk. My name is Melissa Kruger, and I'm here with Jackie Hill Perry and Jasmine Holmes. And we have been gathering together to talk about all sorts of topics over the past few weeks. Today, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about because we're going to talk about mentoring. And when we talk about that topic, we probably need to say we're not talking about, you know, a work mentor or someone who's teaching us a skill or something like that. We're talking about a spiritual mentor, which sometimes that's called disciple. Sometimes I've heard it called spiritual mothering, especially with women. Um, I've heard it called all different sorts of things. But what I thought might be interesting, I'd love to hear who has discipled you or mentored you in the faith and kind of showed you what I like to say it is. It's like it puts flesh on the Christian life. And it says, this is what it looks like. So I hear the command, be kind. But sometimes we see it lived in a life. And that teaches us more then the be kind sometimes can. So who have you, who's mentored you in the faith? I had a particular friend, Miss Pat. I was like 17. Miss Pat was in her forties. She lived like down the road from us. So I would get on my bike and like ride to her house. And she went to our church and we always laugh because Miss Pat is also a psychiatrist <laughs> that went to our church. And so like, I would go to her house and like lay on her couch and be like, let's talk about life. And she was always really patient with me and really just proactive in my life. Um, and looking back now as I'm much older, um, I just am blown away by the amount of respect that she had for me in spite of my youth and in spite of the things that I was bringing to her that probably seemed really small to her. Um, she always made me feel heard and seen. I love that. Um, yeah, I've had different seasons of different kinds of uh, discipleship, I think. But the, I think the most significant season was uh, from a woman named Santoria uh, because I lived in her house. Uh, this is when I was in L.A. So from, I don't know, 19 to 21, just about. But my discipleship was a bit like boot campish. Um, <laughs> but I think that's because I'm just a very stubborn, rebellious person. Um, and so Santoria was the right one because I remember she told me, you know, I, I mentioned this at an earlier podcast, how she told me that I was on my way to being a famous hypocrite and how <laughs> it was her calling in uh, my life to like ensure that my message message and my life matched. Uh, but one of the things that she did early on when I moved in 
is one day I woke up to get on the computer because this is when desktop computers were still a thing. Um, there wasn't a Twitter, praise God. I think MySpace was still kind of popping. Um, and so I got on the computer and she had a post-it note and it said, before you get on this computer, I need you to do one chapter of Nancy Lee DeMoss's Seeking Him. And I was like, first of all, how does she know my schedule? Like, how do you know <laughs> what I do? And so I had to get off the computer and I did that. And that was every day, every day she gave me an assignment. And when she got off work, we would walk through the assignment. And then through that week, whatever the assignment was, she would challenge me to make sure that I actually lived it out. And so if the assignment was, you know, Jane. James, uh, taming the tongue. Then if I didn't tame my tongue, she would say, remember on Tuesday, we read oh. about taming the tongue. This is where you apply that. So it was, it was intense, but I think God was using Centoria to just anchor me and secure me, um, in the faith, to be honest. So that's amazing. Yeah. I, that's amazing. Yes. Every day. Oh, every day, all day. She sees all my sin. You got like boot camp. Mentoring. No, I, I needed it though. <laughs> I, I think I would have been a hot mess. I, nice. I really, I would have been out here preaching the gospel well, but not living none of it. Mm. So mm. I love that. I feel like the Lord prepared you for the ministry He was going to give you yeah. so soon after really coming to faith. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, and she knew that. She yeah. saw it, and yeah. so He gave me someone who would be hard on me because He knew I needed it. That's good. One of the mentors for me was when I went to college. Um, I was involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and so they had staff workers on campus. And um, the female staff worker just said to me my freshman year, hey, can we get together? Mm. And we started getting together every single week. We went to a place called Pepper's Pizza. Okay. Um, and we would sit there every week, and we would just, initially we just talked about life, and mm -hmm. then we might study Remember, we studied First Peter together one semester. And what she would do is at the end of every semester, she would say, can we meet next semester? Mm. And then that went on for three years. And so over three years, we just met once a week wow. in the same place and talked about God and mm. talked about ministry and talked about faith. And it was just a gift. Was she older? She was, but she wasn't that much older. You know, yeah. although she seemed older because she was graduate, you yeah. know, she had graduated. Mm -hmm. So but she was probably 25. Okay. And I was 18. Oh, that's, that's a big gap. Yeah. 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 Especially in those years. Yeah. In those years. Right. So it was just, it was a gift mm -hmm. of time that I think now when you're in the life of the church mm -hmm. to meet once a week with someone is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it seems really intimidating. One of the um, questions I have for you, we had different experiences. Mm -hmm. I think there are two types of mentoring. There can be this more formal, which mm -hmm. is what Deanne did with me mm -hmm. formal every week mm -hmm. kind of we knew our time limits you know this yeah. is when we're going to meet this is the day this is when it ends yeah. she said we'll meet for this semester mm -hmm. you know, and that's what we uh, did introvert's dream mm -hmm. there <laughs> were boundaries yeah. <laughs> there were good boundaries and then there's more informal mentoring mm -hmm. you know as we look at that do you all have any thoughts on that like have you mentored someone formally or informally or you know which one do you like better and informal would be just kind of spontaneous, random. Yeah, kind of like Jasmine, just mm -hmm. riding oh, yeah. riding the bike over to the house. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. And then it kind of just happens yeah. more when you're sitting over a coffee. Uh -huh. You may get that piece of wisdom you need. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I had a high, my high school teacher who did the FCA group that we talked about early. She was more like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just go to her classroom and we would just have conversations. She wouldn't have said she was mentoring me. Yeah. It wasn't this. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't feel official. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it wasn't official. Yeah, I think it. 
I think it depends on the life stage mm-hmm. of the person and even the season of life. So like by life stage, like are they retired? Are they in college? Season of life. Are they really, really busy right now, but they'll be freed up in six months? Um, just because I feel like for me, uh, when I was mentoring more actively was before I had children before I got married, like as my life stages have changed, I can't mentor in the same way that I was mentored because mm-hmm. I just don't have the same time. Um, and I think it, it can sometimes feel like I'm not doing enough. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't have the same amount of availability that Santori had, but she was a single woman. That was literally her job right. was to pour into women versus me. I just don't have that kind of margin. And so when I do enter into mentorship relationships, I actually establish those boundaries up front. I am available for you to this degree. Mm-hmm. And so just so you know, so we're clear, I just you just can't pop over my house whenever you I mean maybe in 60 years I might be more golly and have an open door, but I just I'm not there yet. But we can meet for coffee anytime. You can come over while I'm doing laundry when I invited you. <laughs> I actually think boundaries are really good. Yeah. I was a woman asked me to mentor her and I realized at the end of this failed mentoring relationship that Mm -hmm. we both had different expectations going Mm -hmm. in. Yeah. She wanted a friend. Mm. I wanted to help her grow spiritually. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's different. Yeah. And that's very different. You know, she kind of wanted to just come and hang out. And so I was giving her these assignments Mm. And she wasn't doing that. Yeah. You know, because she just wanted us to be friends. Yeah. And then I was like, wow, she's not really putting into this. And we didn't have a scheduled time yeah. to meet. So the relationship just kind of petered out into this, hey, how you doing? We should get together sometime. Yeah. But it was awkward because it didn't kind of have a set beginning and ending. Yeah. But yet it had been kind of a formal ask. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if the ask is a formal, like, mm-hmm. will you mentor me? Right. I think it's really helpful to put boundaries on that. Yeah. Like, well, do you want to read a book together and mm-hmm. we'll go through this book together yeah. and then we'll reevaluate at the end. Yeah. I've learned through my failure. <laughs> That's really helpful yeah. to do. So the expectations get met that, uh-huh. you know, why we're meeting yep. and for how long yep. and maybe even when. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be Tuesday I evenings. So. I think that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm in a little bit of a different situation because my parents are both, really strong believers. So I grew up with people who were assigning me things and people who were checking in on me all the time and people who were, you know, just keeping me on track constantly and consistently. It sounds the way that I'm saying right now, sounds like it was kind of annoying. Sometimes it was, but I'm actually really grateful for it. But yeah, so I already had my dad like coming and coming and knocking on my bedroom door. Hey, how you doing? Like checking in. Let's talk. Mm. What's, what's going on? I had my mom, you know, I come home after a date. How'd it go? What happened? <laughs> You good? We good? We need to talk about you? <laughs> so every other mentorship relationship that I've had, I have really enjoyed the informal, like drop in, mm. drop out aspect because I mean I lived at home until I was twenty four. So I had that consistent checking in. Yeah. Um mentorship. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got somebody watching me. Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> it's tough. Both of you had live in mentors. Uh-huh. I mean, that was like lifelong. Yeah, lifelong. <laughs> lifelong. You have somebody seeing every way you're spending your time yeah. and everything you're doing. But you know what? What it did for me uh, is that 
I think her awareness of my life, my weaknesses, where I was growing, where I wasn't, I think it taught me or showed me that that's actually the reality of God's awareness Mm -hmm. of my life. And so I think my being accountable to her at all times just kind of made me so much more teachable with anybody, uh, one, when you got somebody correcting you all the time, but also just a, an awareness and a submission to God. Like even when she was out of my life, God is still here mm-hmm. and he still sees and knows everything. And so I think it was just really helpful to just be aware that God is, you know, seeing all my stuff. I think that's a really good point. A mentor cannot replace God in your life. Yeah, no. Sometimes I think we want a spiritual mentor as someone who is going to make us grow spiritually. Yeah. And we kind of almost idolize it. Like, well, Mm -hmm. all my problems are because I don't have someone like Jackie was describing who's Mm -hmm. every day giving me an assignment to read and telling me, hey, you're missing the mark here. Um, I like to use the image of two trees that are beside each other. I remember my dad when I was a kid. I came outside and there was this tree that was completely bent over from a storm. And I think I think the kids in the neighborhood had all been jumping on mm-hmm. it. So we were helping the tree mm-hmm. stay bent over. And he took a he took out a rope or something and he tethered that bent over tree to a stronger tree. Mm. And he tethered them together so that it was going to help that bent over tree grow straight. And that's the image I like to keep in my head of mentoring Mm. because it's not that, you know, it was the rain and the sun that made that little tree grow straight. Mm -hmm. The older tree was just standing beside. Yeah. That's all, all they're doing is standing beside. But I, as a mentor can't make a younger Christian grow. No. Yeah, I mean, that's up to the Lord to grow them. But for the younger Christian out there who wants a mentor, I think we have to reckon with, they can't make me grow spiritually. Mm -mm. It's always God who's doing the growing. Mm -hmm. And so even if we don't have a physical person, I know Mm -hmm. for the first five years of my marriage, we moved every year. So I wasn't at a church long enough to actually find a mentor. How would you encourage a woman who's out there, maybe in a situation where everyone in her church is the same age or maybe even younger. How can you get mentored spiritually if there's not necessarily a physical person you can ask those questions to? A few things. One, I think it is a smidge concerning if I'm in a local church where no one is willing to be a Titus two or able to be a Titus two, young, older, teach the younger. Uh, and so I, for me, I think first and foremost, look for a church that has a culture of discipleship. Um, if not that, I think there's a lot of ways we got books, we got podcasts, mm-hmm. we have YouTube. I think, uh, if your pastor is married, uh, reach out to his wife, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um, yeah, I think those are some of the options that many people have had to take. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. I like what you said about the state of the church yeah. is my first inclination when you said like, oh, there's nobody there to to do it or it's not available. I was kind of like, well, find somewhere where it is available. Yeah. And I was worried that that was too like, no, it's true though. <laughs> a little too hardcore. But yeah, I mean, being willing to go to a place. And sometimes there's not a place to go. I, I totally understand that. I get that. Um, but living where we live in the time that we live in, we have a lot of options at our disposal. So if I'm that younger woman and I want you Jasmine to mentor me, how do I go about doing that? Do I say, 
hey, will you be my mentor for the rest of my life and be my best friend okay. for the rest of my that life? That like marriage. That's, wow. I know. It's intimidating. It's intimidating. I've, I've honestly never been asked to mentor will you anybody. mentor me? I've like, never been. Like, I'm sitting here like, wow, y'all have like all these parameters and like ideas and never, never. Okay, hear that. If you live in Jackson... <laughs> Jasmine Holmes. She's ready. Roll up. And according to the Hospitality Podcast, you Roll know, she'll, up. she'll make some hot chocolate for you. You I just got to bring the milk. You'll have to watch my kids. But you can come, <laughs> for sure. I'm, I think, like, I, I'm fine with drop-ins. Uh, we were talking about, yeah. um, don't drop in on me. Don't. And I'm like, yeah, drop in if I'm doing laundry yeah. and grab some laundry. Which yeah. is discipleship, too. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. well, that's good for me, then, because I got is. a lot of laundry. Inviting people in to... Because I, I, one thing I learned from uh, my pastor in Chicago, Brian Dye, who has a discipleship conference, so my whole mm. life in Chicago was me learning about discipleship, mm-hmm. is he talked about how in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and how that go is as you go. And so he always would say, you don't have to change your day-to-day life to disciple. You just invite people into your day-to-day life. So as you go to the grocery store, invite them with you. They can learn stewardship. If as you, uh, you know, go work out, they can learn how to, you know, run track or something like mm-hmm. you don't i think people think they have to create programs yeah. to do discipleship but Jesus just had his disciples just with him healing eating chilling going to weddings they were just there and they were able to not only learn from Jesus what like what he taught but also see it lived out in his life that's good and what I, he also did too he limited it yeah. He didn't disciple everybody yes. that he came into contact with. Yeah. He chose 12 yeah. that he walked and really did life with mm. rather than, oh, everyone you meet now, yeah. you know, can yeah. you imagine how many requests? Hey, Jesus, can we get coffee? Oh my goodness. <laughs> he had to say no to somebody. Yeah, he yeah. Did. I mean, and he knew, you know, he limited and built the church through building up. 12 people. So yeah. sometimes I think we think that we have to have these huge ministries mm-hmm. or these huge impact yep. or whatever. And sometimes I think, oh, wow, Jesus built the church by yeah. investing in 12 people day to day, again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he obviously preached to the 5,000 and taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he did other bigger things yeah. too, but his day to day faithful building up of the church was these men who would go on yeah. and acts. Yeah. Now, have you had the experience of discipling a Judas? Well, yeah, they followed you. They discipled you. I mean, you discipled them. They followed you. You invited them into your home. You poured into them, but then they betray you. How do you mm. overcome mentorship relationships gone bad? I haven't actually had a mentor relationship mm-hmm. you know, where it was kind of that close friendship, yeah. you know, of discipleship, pointing mm-hmm. one another to Christ. I have had that in friendship yeah, and that is difficult. It's yeah. hard. Um, there was one situation in particular with a person who was in our home all the time, dear friend. And, you know, some things came out and it was just very difficult because I felt like I'd been lied to mm-hmm. for hard. years. I had, my mom was mentoring somebody who was in our home all the time and I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and um yeah, same thing. Just it went really sour and it was really hard. Yeah. Um and it takes me back to that Matthew 18 principle where they just had to have they just had to have it out. They had a really hard conversation yeah. and they had to go their separate ways. Yeah. And 
it was really tough. Yeah, I had one, um, not recently, but recently, and it made me not want to disciple again. It made me not want to mm. mentor again because it felt like, dag, like I was given a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. uh, for you to do what you've done and said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I eventually just had to have, after seeing my therapist, have to have a conversation because <laughs> uh, my therapist ha- had to show me that I was hurt, yeah. you know, because yeah. I'm a shut her down person where I just stop feeling. Um, and so I had to see and process, oh, you're hurt by her. You're mm-hmm. not just mad, you're hurt. Um, and so I had to reach out, but I, I think I had to, empathize with the fact that I knew her past. I knew the things about God that she didn't believe. And I think thinking about that reminded me why she treated me the way that she did. Mm. It's like, you know, her issue, you know, her struggle. So those things, maybe your time is over, but continue to pray. Mm. Um, And so we're good now. And one of the big hopes in that too, was it didn't mean you were a failure of a mentor. Mm. I think one thing that can be intimidating for older women to mentor is they think, what if she doesn't grow spiritually? Yeah. What if it doesn't work, so to speak? Mm-hmm. And that's where the good news of it is we're leaving their growth up to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like we're faithful. I remember the story of Elizabeth Elliot when her first year in missions work before she was married, she spent the entire year translating um, the Bible into maybe whatever language she was working on mm-hmm. at the time. And so that's a lot of work, Yeah. you know, Every day you mm-hmm. get up and you do this translation work. Well, the the whole manuscript got put on top of a bus and somehow it got lost. <gasps> okay. And there was no, you know, she hadn't ha- saved it on the external hard drive because <laughs> oh <my laughs> there goodness. was no hard drive. Google drive. It was just lost. So it was a year's work Wow. that she had been faithful to do and it was just gone. And I think sometimes in our mentoring relationships, we're faithful to pour into people mm. who may squander what yeah. we've given them yeah. mm-hmm. for now. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what will happen. Yeah, Cause I mean, seeds have been planted. And so that's the hope is that at some point, if, if God is not watering it now that he will again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think even when we talked about earlier, like that cumulative conversion kind yeah. of thing where it's like, maybe God will send someone else to build upon what I planted and then someone else. And maybe 15 years from now, they actually begin to yeah bear the fruit of everything that I was trying to say or show. So as we think about mentoring or discipleship, one question I have for both of you is what are we actually trying to do? What is the whole purpose and the goal of what we're trying to do? So in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about how God has given us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, uh, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God. And so for me, I think that the aim of all discipleship and all mentorship is that to equip the church, to look like Jesus, to know Jesus and to be unified with each other. Um, it, and it doesn't feel like it should be that big of a deal. Like I'm just having lunch, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just coming over and sitting on my couch, but it's just, you have no idea how one word of encouragement really does help somebody keep going or someone love their neighbor, which then loving their neighbor could bring someone else to the faith. And that person comes to the faith. They might plant a church within saves 200 some people, which one of them become missionary. Like, (laughs) like our little menial discipleship efforts Mm -hmm. really do work out to do very big things. I think in the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it's just such a reminder that we're not the center 
of the story. We're working together within the body of Christ to accomplish God's purposes and mentorship, discipleship is one of the ways that we do that. Yeah. I like to say I am not here to make a disciple of Melissa. Mm-hmm. I'm here to make a disciple of Jesus. And that changes things because oh, sometimes, yes you know, the people we mentor are serving in ways we don't serve. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm trying to convert them to me, I'm going to be upset if they're not, you know, teaching or, or you know, yeah. doing the ministries mm-hmm. that I feel called to yeah. versus saying, I'm here to help you grow in the faith, to equip you for the ministry the Lord has given you. Yeah. That's a very different, I think of John the Baptist when he said, I must become less. Mm-hmm. He must become greater. I've learned this from a woman that discipled me and still kind of mentors me in many ways, uh, named uh, Melody from Chicago. And she kind of got me in the season where I was I was engaged, motherhood. So she just kind of helps me with that. And one thing she always told me is she said that anybody can discern sin mm-hmm. in somebody, but it takes real wisdom to discern gifts and gems and you you pour into that and so I think what I learned from her is that she discerned the things that God wanted to do with me and the gifts that God had given me and the skills that I had and so she would challenge me in those ways Mm -hmm. and so I think discipleship does take a bit of intentionality and wisdom and just prayer praying for the person that you're walking with God this week I know I had a plan for us to go through Ecclesiastes, but is there another route that mm-hmm. I need to go? Is there something that they're dealing with that I may be unaware of? Like direct me with that. So I speak at a lot of conferences with a lot of older saints. And <laughs> one thing that I run into actually is an insecurity in them that when we say in Titus to older women teach the younger, they feel as if they're not equipped or they have nothing to teach. What is that? Why is that a thing? And how, how like, do we, even as younger women, encourage the older in that way? You know, I think a lot of older women haven't been mentored themselves. Mm. And so I think there's this question in their head, what does she want me to do with her? Mm. Yeah, and I think they feel all the fears that of what mentoring isn't. Mm. I think they feel like they have to be perfect. I think they feel like they have to know the Bible backward and forward. Mm. And truthfully, often the older we get, the more we realize we don't know the Bible well at all. Mm -hmm. So we're more intimidated when we hear, oh, I'm supposed to teach someone something. And so I think, too, the older we get, we forget what we've learned along the way. Mm. So sometimes I tell older women, you just don't even know all that you know just because you've walked through life walking with the Lord. Mm -hmm. However, I will say, I also don't always think being older in age equates to spiritual maturity. Yes. Um, So I've seen a lot of 28-year-olds who are really spiritually mature. And maybe it's because they were like Jasmine raised in a Christian home in, they had been invested in. So you've been taught mentoring by being mentored Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And you've seen good ones probably and ones that you wouldn't repeat. So you're equipped to mentor just because that was the life you grew up in. And the same thing for you, you had this woman who invested in you well. So I think it gives you a vision for it. I think a lot of women, sadly, Hmm. really have had no one spiritually invest Mm -hmm. in them. And so sometimes they don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so I think that's where we do need some training of 
what does it look like mm-hmm. to help someone grow mm-hmm. in the faith? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Melissa, you're so humble that you won't you won't tell the saints that you have a book actually about this topic called <laughs> Growing Together, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests. Do you have like, I guess, resources or even ideas in the book that would give people context for how to move forward in mentoring relationships? Yeah, that was actually my goal in writing it. I had so many older women with the very question, they didn't feel equipped Mm. to mentor a younger woman. And so that was why I wrote it, um, because it's not a book about mentoring. Mm. It's a book to help an older woman walk with a younger woman. So the chapters are just meant to be springboards for the conversation. And there are questions in the back. If you feel like you don't even know what to ask this younger woman. So you read the chapter about why God's word is important. Mm -hmm. And then there are questions in the back. So you can say, hey, which of the things about reading God's word do you struggle with the most? And so I tried to make it as easy as possible because I believe the women have it in them. Mm -hmm. They sometimes just don't know how to get it out. That's good. Yeah, that is good. So the whole time we've been talking, this little voice in the back of my head has been whispering, what about Titus 2? What about Titus 2? Because growing up, my ideas about mentorship really sprang from that verse, those those verses, that chapter in Titus, um, and what it says older women are to be teaching younger women, and how it says that older women are, are to be discipling younger women. And I'd love to hear um, your thoughts about um, the limits that Titus 2 places on teaching or the parameters of mentorship for women? Is it different for the parameters for men? Um, Can you only teach what's in Titus 2? So on and so forth. Um, Just so we all know where we are, I'm going to read a little bit of what it says in Titus 2. For sure. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. I'll take a stab at it, just because I haven't actually really studied this verse like exegetically or nothing. But I, I guess for me, when I do read it, I feel like the way I've heard it taught oftentimes uh, what has been landed on the most mm-hmm. is, you know, teach them to be submissive, you know, teach them to be workers at home uh, rather than I think the first verse or not the first verse, but the, the, the third verse seems to just say teach what is good. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of good things to teach, teach people not to be drunk. Cool. <laughs> teach people to be reverent awesome like i i think titus is hitting at way more than just how to serve your husbands especially it's considering the fact that the entire world is not married and so there are things that to be taught that single women can obey and listen to and respond to but i don't really know what i'm talking about so i agree completely oh with what thank you <laughs> well i think this is a specific exhortation mm-hmm. not a limitation and that's different. So I think that this is a specific exhortation. When you are a woman who's raising young children, you know, we have to be commanded to love our children and our husband. Yeah. <laughs> because we will want to love everybody else in the whole wide world, mm-hmm. but they are sometimes the most difficult to love. So I think this is Paul saying, if you are mentoring a younger mm-hmm. woman mm-hmm. who happens to be married and happens to have young children, mm-hmm. remind her that is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not saying the only women you mentor yeah. 
are to be married are the with, only thing you teach. Yeah, and yeah. basically when you look at these words, look what it says. Good, love, self-controlled, kind. That's half of the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think what Paul is saying, make sure they bear the spirit in the home. Mm. Yeah. But if I'm mentoring someone who's in the working world, I'm going to mentor her, reminding her, bear the fruit of the spirit in your working environment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Bear the fruit of the spirit. You know, when you're going to the grocery store and that cashier is mean to you, <laughs> bear the fruit of the spirit wherever the Lord places you. Mm. And I think this is just speaking to Make sure you bear the fruit of the spirit in your home. That's Absolutely. good. Sometimes that's the hardest place. Mm-hmm. And it's also a corrective. I mean, I'm going to be obnoxious and answer my own question. Um, I studied this verse a lot this past year because of the little voice in the back of my head. <laughs> and um, I decided to go back and read Titus 1, which I maybe read once or twice. I'd read Titus 2 thousands of times. Mm. Um, Context. And in verse good. 10. Uh, of Titus 1, it says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not teach. And it goes on to talk about how these people are going from house to house and just upsetting entire families and turning things upside down. Um, And before he even gets to verse 10, in verse 5, he talks about the qualifications for elders. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then it goes into talking about the circumcision party. And so as I reread Titus 1 and Titus 2 and Titus 3 <laughs> in context, I saw this different picture emerging of, like you guys said, Paul admonishing in a particular context and admonishing against super specific sins. And I saw Titus two, three through five, and Titus one, five through nine as mirroring and complimenting um, each other. Titus one doesn't have every single qualification for what it means to be a godly man and a godly Mm. mentor to other men. Mm. Uh, And neither does, neither does Titus two for women. Mm. And that might sound really obvious to a lot of people listening, but if they're like me, um, maybe it's never dawned on them before and I just remember having that like lightning bolt moment of you know I'm not trying to find an excuse not to obey Titus 2 I want to obey Titus 2 I want to be kind and I want to be good to my husband and good to my children and I want to build up my home um but I also don't want to take something beautiful and turn it into a restriction when that's not its original intent Mm. Absolutely. That's good. It's always good. Sometimes these verses get plucked Mm -hmm. and we just looked at that one verse and we start trying to interpret it without looking at what's the context it's set in and Mm -hmm. and that changes everything. Well, this has been such a good discussion. Thank you both. Um, I hope if you're listening that you will consider, is there somebody in my life that I should pour back into and kind of pass the baton of what I've learned to someone else? And, or is there someone in my life that I look up to and I say, oh, wow, she's got a great prayer life. Mm-hmm. I want to ask her if she'll mentor me in prayer. Um, just take a moment to think about that today. Who could you invest in and who could you ask to invest in you? Because I think um, 
discipleship is just the way of spiritual growth that we often miss and we need one another. And so it's a great way to grow in our faith. Um, and I would always suggest just ask someone to get coffee. Yeah. That's the least intimidating way Mm -hmm. rather than, will you be my mentor? It's like that kid's book. like tea. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Or tea. Tea or hot chocolate. Yeah. Hot chocolate. Whatever's your thing. Come over to my house while I'm folding my laundry and help me. Change a diaper. (laughs) Whatever it might be. So we encourage you to just think about that and do that. Now it is time for favorite things. So I'm excited about this one. Um, Today we're going to talk about what is the favorite place you'd like to go back to and visit. So my favorite place within the United States to visit is San Diego. I love San Diego. I've gone there with my family. I've gone there by myself with my friends. I've gone there with my husband. I haven't taken my kids back yet, but I love San Diego. And it's actually where Philip and I um, saw each other again after the first time and decided that we kind of liked each other. Um, San Diego was a place where I was like, God, I kind of really like him. He's kind of interested in somebody else. Let's see what happens. And so it will always have a really nice, warm, fuzzy memory attached to it. Did you go over to Coronado? Yes. I love that. I love Coronado. And we stayed in Escondido and it was just so beautiful. I, I just love it. I want to go back as soon as possible. Um, but the other place is Israel. We went on a two week tour in Israel and it was like, I know, right? It's like San Diego, Israel. <laughs> we went on a two week like uh, history Bible tour in, in Israel and it was phenomenal. I want to go. Have that you been to so Israel? Wonderful. Not yet. Okay. Yeah. We should do a Let's Talk Israel. I'm hey, all about it. I'm with it. Food's great. Fun? You know? Yeah. It's good. It's a good place. Yes. What about you, Jackie? I think um, I've been to a, a couple of places in the world, but I think one of my favorites is New York. Mm. Uh, just because as many times as I've been to New York, I feel like I still don't have a grasp of the city. Like there's still so many more neighborhoods and restaurants and coffee places and boutiques to see um i think next to that would be london because to me london feels like a european new york Mm -hmm. um and so those are definitely it i love london i lived i lived in oxford for a year did you i I told people if i was single i would live in london for like minimum a year just to do it i love the uk and actually my place is we spent um six months on sabbatical in cambridge mm. england so it's about 45 minutes south of mm-hmm. london yeah. which is great because you can just take the train up uh-huh. but it's cambridge is this wonderful city you know with this university but it's really small mm. and so there was this specific place i love to go that was called the orchard and so if if i'm riding on my bike and if i go left i'd be in the middle of this city with this market that's been there since the 1200s but if i go right i'm in the middle of a cow field riding to the orchard where there are like blackberry bushes growing on the side and then you get there and it's this tea place with these slingback green chairs under apple trees. Oh, and we cute. were there in the fall and I was like, my kids kept saying, can we pick, you know, climb the trees and pick the apple? Co-? And I was like, my kids are going to be, you know, <laughs> the monkeys, <laughs> these proper British people. Yeah. And my kids, the American kids are the ones climbing the trees. So I went up and asked and they're like, well, of course they can climb the trees and pick the apples. That's what they're here for. Oh, that was nice. That. It was just this place we'd love to be. And it, it was, it was a, it was a great time. My kids were young and it was really a fun place to be. So I'd love to go back. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk. Next week, we'll be covering the topic of building friendships with people 
who aren't just like you. This is probably something we all need to be challenged on, so be sure to tune in. You can subscribe to Let's Talk through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Check out our other shows from the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network at tgc.org slash podcasts. The Gospel Coalition connects Christians to resources that apply the truth and beauty of the gospel to all of life.